Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. We began studying this beloved text several weeks ago. We began focusing on the picture of the Lord as our shepherd and the truths that that language indicates to us. And we noted that it doesn't merely say God in general, generically God is our shepherd. It says that Yahweh is our shepherd, the God that has covenantally bonded himself, bound himself to a flock, the eternal self-sufficient God who is not contingent upon anyone or anything else. He is our good shepherd who needs nothing and who and who has everything. And we saw from the Gospel of John that Jesus is our Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd that knows His flock intimately. He's the Good Shepherd that feeds His flock. He gives His flock heavenly bread. The bread of heaven. Celestial food like we just sang. That food is His body and His blood shed for us on the cross. And third, he's a good shepherd that cares for his sheep. He guides them. He provides for them. He protects them. He lays down his own life for them. What kind of a shepherd would do that? Who is like our God, like we read in the Psalms? Last week, we saw that our good shepherd is the one that restores us. He's the one that puts us back aright. Puts us back on our feet when we flipped ourselves over and we've been cast down by sin. We looked at nine different ways that God uses the valleys of our life specifically for our good. And we saw that He's with us by the presence of His Holy Spirit. And so today we will continue in verse 4. I fully intended at the beginning of our journey to finish this psalm in three weeks. And I'm not going to. I I thought it would be profitable to Continue to go slowly, and I'll finish the 23rd Psalm on Sunday nights. Um, So you can come back and hear that or listen in online. Today we're just, Lord willing, finish verse 4. Thinking about the end of verse 4. And so let me read the whole psalm for us about the Lord who is our shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, our our shepherd, we ask that you would feed your flock this morning. That you would nourish us on the truth of what has been given to us by union with Jesus Christ. That you would build us up by the power and work of your Holy Spirit yet again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In verse 4, David is 
confidently proclaiming that he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, literally the valley of deep, deep darkness, without fear. And he can do that because God is with him. And he specifically mentions two items that are of particular comfort to him, two symbols of God's presence, two symbols of God's work, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That language might be foreign to us since I don't believe many of us are shepherds here today. And so what is David saying by these two symbols, God's rod and God's staff? Each of these tools is used by a shepherd to have care and oversight over his flock. A rod is specifically chosen. It's a crafted club. It's usually heavier on one end and it's tapered down to a handle that's custom fit to the hand of the shepherd that's using it. Great care and selection, great care is taken in the selection of an appropriately sized and balanced rod that can be most effectively used. And shepherds will, from an early age, practice throwing the rod with surprising accuracy, even across good distances. This rod is used as a tool of protection for the shepherd and the flock. It's also used as a tool of discipline and a tool of correction for wayward sheep. And as it relates to our Lord, Scripture uses the language of His rod in several categories. One of which is the rod of His judgment. The rod of God's judgment. We hear in Psalm 2, for example, these words. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them, that is, the nations, with a rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. And so God's Son will be given an inheritance of the nations and He will rule them with a rod and He will judge them. Similarly, Revelation 2, 26 and 27 promises that the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Did you hear the echo there? He says, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots are broken into pieces. It's Psalm 2 being echoed there of Christ. And we see similar themes in Revelation that we did in Psalm 2. Themes of authority, of ruling, of dominion, of punishment, of justice. The nations rebel, and God judges them with a rod. And he will ultimately rule over them with that rod of judgment. And as a side note here, sometimes God's judgment in Scripture is not what we would expect. Sometimes judgment, the rod of judgment, looks like fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. But sometimes it looks like the opposite. In fact, to the eyes of the world, sometimes God's judgment is mistaken as God's blessing. That's because God's judgment sometimes looks like giving you exactly what you want in your heart. If a man is greedy and God gives him over to judgment, he may have all sorts of money and wealth around him and he's given over to the idol of his heart. That's God's judgment. Sometimes, if your idol is sensuality, then God might give you all sorts of different avenues to express that sensuality with seemingly impunity. No immediate 
hand of judgment upon you. Right? That's what God does in Romans 1. Mankind, created in the image of their creator, begins to worship the created things rather than the creator himself, and God judges them with fire and brimstone. No, he gives them over to the lusts of their flesh. The things that they wanted, the idols in their hearts, he gives it to them. He says, you want it? You can have it. And so one immediate application from these verses about God's rod is that if you are outside of Christ, you need to know that God will judge you with a rod of iron. And don't let success in this world and happiness in this world let you think that the rod of judgment is not already upon you. He will judge the nations for their iniquity and He will use His rod of judgment to strike down all that are not united to Him by faith. Revelation 19 11 through 15 speaks of God's coming use of a rod. John is given a vision of Christ, and this vision is of Christ seated on a white horse. Military imagery from the day. And he's coming in righteousness to judge and to make war. And it says that his eyes are like a flaming fire. He has crowns on his head, and he's flanked by armies from heaven, robed in white linen, also riding on horses. And then it says... Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, the sword of judgment, with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. It's terrifying language. God's judgment of evil and wickedness is certain. Are you ready for that day? But back to our text in Psalm 23. We note that David says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So why would God's rod, especially his rod of judgment, be a comfort to David and therefore for us? Well, we can be comforted in God's rod of judgment that wicked men can no longer and will no longer sin against God. Their wickedness will come to an end. We can take comfort when God executes His rod of judgment in His justice being revealed to the world. Think about the comfort that was given to the people of Israel when they saw God's rod of judgment in the Red Sea against Pharaoh and his armies. We can take comfort likewise when God's rod of judgment is used and the church is delivered. Think about Acts 12. Herod put on his royal robes and he took his seat on a throne and he delivered a speech, an oration. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not a man, the voice of a God. And God's rod comes upon him. It says in, Psalm, or in uh, verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. And then listen to what happens next. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The church was delivered from a wicked man and began to flourish because God used his rod of judgment. God's rod can give us comfort because we live in a world of conspicuous evil. We can see injustice anywhere we look. We see people acting murderously and in very greedy ways. We see the powerful take advantage of the weak. 
We see people commit these evils with seeming impunity. They either get off with an unjustly light sentence or they get away with it entirely. And without understanding the certainty of God's rod of judgment, we can really despair. We can wonder, are they really getting away with it? Who's going to hold them to account? The Lord our shepherd is. That's who. And that's why David can draw comfort from our rod-wielding judge of a shepherd. But Scripture doesn't only speak of the rod of the Lord in terms of judgment. Scripture also speaks of God's rod of discipline. Scripture speaks of God's rod of discipline. Shepherds often have to use their rod to correct a sheep that is continuously wandering off and misbehaving. They keep going down the wrong path. They keep pressing and pressing. They keep going after weeds that would poison them. They don't use it, shepherds don't use it in a punitive way or hateful. They use it as a loving corrective. In fact, it would have been unloving for the shepherd to just let the sheep go, right? The loving thing would be to correct the sheep and bring them back, to use the rod to train and to correct and to protect the sheep even from themselves. And that's what David is saying here too, that the rod of the Lord, his rod of discipline, is a comfort. And this is the same man that felt the rod of the Lord's discipline after his sin with Bathsheba. That same man who broke all of God's commandments in that episode. He lied, he coveted, he stole, he murdered, he committed adultery, he even blasphemed God through it all. All of the, all of the commands. But God was faithful to send Nathan and to lovingly apply his rod of discipline. And because of that, we have the same David write Psalm 51, where David is crying out for forgiveness and for restoration, for repentance. And so we don't have a God who will let us drift further and further into danger down the paths of sin without correction. He loves us enough to act. That's what we're taught in Hebrews 12. The faithful, loving father is the father who disciplines his son, not the father who never corrects his son and always gives the son what he wants. Hear the words of Hebrews 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that we have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are an illegitimate son. You're not a son. We skip down verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so here again, these these benefits that we have from the Lord's discipline, it's a sign of His love for us. It's the sign of our adoption. It's for our good. It's for our holiness. And it bears the fruit of righteousness if we would but be trained by it. You see, during trials, we are often tempted to think God is angry at us. God is pouring out His wrath upon us. He has forgotten us. He's put us in the camp with the enemies. We're not in His house anymore. That's exactly what Satan wants us to think. But that's not 
right. And that's how, how David views his shepherd. Because God's wrath has been completely poured out for our sin on Christ. That's significant for us. When we're going through trials, we need to remember that it is done. It is finished. Christ's atonement has completely appeased God's wrath. And so that means when we're under the rod of the Lord as a Christian, we're not under the rod of His judgment. It's not hateful vengeance that is pressing upon us. It's the rod of His loving, fatherly, shepherding, pastoral rod of correction. He's not seeking our destruction. His aim is our good. His aim is our holiness. He's indeed testifying to you that you are His Son. You are in His household. Contrary to what the accuser wants us to think. He wants us to think we've been orphaned. We've been abandoned. God has left you. You are no good and outside of His house. And God's discipline is in fact screaming to you the opposite. It's God saying, you are my son. I have brought you in and I'm going to care for you. He is the faithful shepherd that's pushing us away from the poison and the dangers of this world. And he's leading us back to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, it's only with this understanding of the Lord as our shepherd can we proclaim with the psalmist from Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. That takes faith to say. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And such a profound reality can only be learned through habitual faith. It's only when we see what Christ has done on the cross and see the wickedness and evil of our sin for what it really is and see the true glorious value of personal holiness and of honoring our Father that we can really say that the rod of God's discipline was for our good so that we can stay out of danger and into His paths of righteousness. Being able to agree with the psalmist and say that it was good that I was afflicted is one of the most difficult things to say in this life. And sometimes it takes a lifetime for us to recognize. It takes real godliness to realize that God often uses the rod of hard providences, the rod of hard circumstances to drive us to the end of ourselves so that we would return back to Him. Let me give you another biblical example. Most of us probably remember Luke 15, the prodigal son. Jesus tells us a story about a son who told his father, I want my inheritance now, which is effectively saying, you're, you're dead to me, you're of no use to me, I want the money. And so he gets it, he runs off to a far country, and he squanders his wealth on wild living. And when he had spent all of his money, he had to get a job to feed the farmer's pigs. And he was so hungry, he was tempted to eat the pig slop. And Jesus says that the son came to his senses, and he said to himself that my father's, eat, my father's servants eat better than this. I'll go home to my father, I'll say that I've sinned against you, and maybe he'll let me be one of the servants in his house. And so he goes home, and as he gets close, the father runs to him, hugs him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, throws a big party for him. And Jesus, of course, tells us about the jealous older brother who's also watching. 
Did I miss anything in the story? Did you notice anything? I left out one detail that most of us often don't remember because we're not shepherds. We're not farmers. After the son went to the far country and he squandered all of his money, Jesus notes in verse 14 that after the son had spent all of his money, there was a severe famine in the country. And he began to be in need. There was a severe famine. When you have little or no money and famine comes, food not only becomes scarce, it becomes expensive. And in the story, God sent a famine in part to bring the wandering son home. He had to bring him to the end of himself so that he might go running back to his father. And that's often what God will do to us and for us. He'll put us in a situation. He'll put us in a trial. He'll put us under the pressure of his rod so that we will quit being stubborn and prideful, quit trying to do it on our own and realize that we need to go back to him. He'll use the famines of this life to bring us back from our senses, back to our senses. When we're tempted to be eating the pig slop of this world, He uses His rod to bring us back to the Father that stands there with open arms, ready to receive us, ready to run to us and hug us, ready to strip us of our rags of self-righteous living and put on us the robes of His Son's righteousness and ready to host us again at His table for a feast. If you've wandered into a far country and soiled yourself in the pigsty of sin, then I hope you will turn back to your good shepherd today. And if you're close to your good shepherd, then I hope that you will take great pains to stay near to him. See, we're all tempted to wander off, to wander off into the far country of sin. But let us not give our good shepherd reason to have to correct us with his rod. Let us stay close to him. Enough about his rod for now. Let's move on to the Lord's staff. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what's a staff? Staff is a long, slender stick. It has a big crook on the end, a hook. It's the image we normally associate with language of a shepherd. Right? If the rod evokes imagery of authority and power and dominion and correction, then the shepherd's staff brings to mind comfort and care and protection. The staff, significantly, is specifically used for sheep. He doesn't use, the shepherd doesn't use a staff with horses or with pigs or with cows or with goats. The staff is for sheep. It's specifically adapted for the care of and the tending of sheep. It's used for specific tasks. For example, a staff is used for drawing the sheep together. A staff can be used to draw sheep together. Philip Keller again explains in A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm that a staff might be used to lift a newborn lamb back to its mother if it gets separated. See, a shepherd doesn't want to risk the smell of his hands being the reason that the mother might reject the baby. And so he uses his staff to place the sheep where it belongs. Similarly, a staff is used by a shepherd to draw a sheep close to himself so that he can examine the sheep. 
If there's a sheep that's hurt, it needs care. Or if, there's, if the wool needs examination before shearing. Or if the shepherd needs to tend a wound on the sheep, he'll often use his staff to draw to himself an otherwise timid and fearful little sheep. Second, a staff is used by a shepherd in guiding his sheep. A shepherd guides his sheep with his staff. Unlike his rod, which is used for correction, a staff is the gentle guiding implement of a shepherd. He doesn't whack them with a staff. Rather, he'll place the staff and then use leverage to push the sheep where it needs to go. He'll place it firmly against the side of the animal or even against the animal's neck and apply gentle but firm pressure and steer the sheep where it needs to go. He'll gently guide his sheep on the right path. Third, the staff is used by a shepherd in saving his sheep, in rescuing their sheep when they need saving. Shepherd will use his sheep to get the sheep out of trouble. He uses staff to get the sheep out of trouble. See, sheep are stubborn creatures, and they often get themselves stuck in comical and even dangerous situations. Some will climb out onto rocky ledges, greedily going after the last little bit of green grass all the way out here, but only to find themselves unable to turn themselves around without falling, unable to get back to safety, find themselves in need of rescue, and a shepherd might use his staff to lift the small sheep back to a place of safety. Or a sheep might get stuck in the thorny bramble bushes, and as he fights to get free, his wool only gets more and more knotted in the thicket. So the only tool for the job is a staff, which in the hands of a skillful shepherd can be used to free the sheep from such a mess. Shepherds use their staff for drawing, guiding, and saving their sheep. And a comforting reality for us to see is that our good shepherd uses his staff in similar ways. In fact, each of these roles, each of these tasks of drawing and guiding and saving are attributed to God's Holy Spirit in Scripture. We could say that the Holy Spirit's role is analogous to the use of a staff in a skillful shepherd's hand. First, our good shepherd uses the Holy Spirit to draw his sheep. The Holy Spirit is the means that God uses to convict people of their sin, to draw them back to himself, and to give them a new heart of faith. Listen to how our confession summarizes the work of the Holy Spirit. It says that God calls us out of our natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. The Holy Spirit takes away our heart of stone and gives us a beating heart of flesh. And He renews our wills and by His power turns us to good and effectually draws us to Jesus Christ. That's the ministering work of the Holy Spirit. That's the staff that God uses to pull us back to Himself. Second, the Holy Spirit guides God's people. The Holy Spirit guides God's people. In John 16, 13, Jesus promises us that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. When we hear the Holy Spirit speak, we hear our Good Shepherd speak. 
And the Spirit speaks most clearly, in fact, infallibly through God's Word. Our Good Shepherd uses His Word to guide us into all truth, to point us in the direction of green pastures, to lead us in our paths of righteousness, to comfort us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and to steer us from the dangers of sin in this world. God guides us by His staff, which we hear most clearly in His Word. Third, like a shepherd uses his staff to save his sheep, so too does our Good Shepherd send His Holy Spirit to save us. We were naturally on our own, stuck in the briars of sin, unable to free ourselves. But like a skillful shepherd with his staff, God has sent His Holy Spirit to do what we could never do on our own. The Holy Spirit applies the fruit of Christ's redemptive work and untangles us from this world and He frees us from the power of sin and He rescues us from the sentence of death and He seals us for our coming redemption. Titus 3, 4 and 5 says, But when the goodness of our loving kindness, uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And how did He do that? Not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our Good Shepherd has saved us by washing us and renewing us. You see, He restores our souls, as David proclaims in this psalm, and God does this by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Like a skillful shepherd with a staff perfectly suited for His task, our Good Shepherd uses His very own Holy Spirit to draw us to Himself, to guide us, and to rescue us. If you have not tasted of this work of God, then I encourage you to hear today of the work of our Good Shepherd and know that He stands ready to receive you, ready to wash you, ready to free you from the grip of sin and death and to guide you into paths of righteousness. Do not wait another day. Come to Him this very day by faith and believe, lest you feel His rod of judgment to come. And if you have Him as your shepherd, then be comforted this very day by His Word. Be comforted by His Holy Spirit who is in you, who is guiding you, who has washed you, and who has renewed you, and who has restored you into the flock of our Good Shepherd. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, I ask this day that You would be with us that you would help us to remember that you are a good shepherd and that you never leave us or forsake us, that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear because you are with us. And grant us the faith to know that your rod and your staff can and do comfort us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. We'll close by singing, Be Still My Soul. <laughs>